0: Hi listeners, thanks for tuning in to Our Bright Stories, a podcast created and developed by the Just Right Scotland team with your host, Natalia. Today's episode features our social enterprise, JRS Know How. Both Laura and Ricarda tell us more about the business, ongoing projects, and some creative products that are perfect for the upcoming holiday season. So welcome to Our Right Stories. Today we have special guest, Laura. Hello. And Ricarda. Hello. And they're from our JRS know-how. Um, before I actually kind of explain what it is, I think you both would do it better. So, Laura, could you um, kind of give us a little bit introduction into yourself, your role, and what know-how is? Thank you, Natalia.
1: My name is Laura. I'm the digital training and learning lead here at JRS know-how. JRS know-how is our social enterprise and we're a digital consultancy, so we specialise in learning and social justice. And what this means on a day-to-day basis is really exciting. Every day is different. We uh, deliver live training workshops. We train uh, in person and online, also hybrid, which is kind of an exciting challenge. Uh, we create online learning modules and uh Any given day, I might be writing a training plan or I might be evaluating someone's training programmes. So anything that relates to our mission, which is to improve people's understanding of rights and equalities across Scotland and help organisations really get what that means for their day to day job. So it's a a really exciting place to be, and it's really lovely being inspired all the time by the amazing work that people are doing across Scotland, uh, raising the profile of human rights and equalities.
0: Amazing. And Ricarda, could you also explain what your role is at JRS KnowHow, and if you want to add anything as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: I'm Ricarda. I'm the Learning and Operations Officer at JRS KnowHow. So that means uh, my role is a little split between kind of doing a lot of admin, finance, um, some HR, some kind of governance prep. So not the actual governance, but like making sure that it can happen and and doing the logistics for that. And then on the other hand, kind of supporting um, Laura with all things kind of delivery and training and learning services and products uh, and starting to work with my old clients, which is very exciting.
0: Yeah, that sounds super exciting. And I mean, just so our listeners know, you know, I do a lot of training and kind of making digital learning more inclusive, which I feel like is such an important thing to do now and day. And it's such also, I mean, I see you in the background, so I always hear about the cool projects that you both do and everything. Um, so I know that the team at JRS Know How is very creative and you always promote and create versatile digital tools. And recently, to celebrate the International Day of Peace, you launched the Pop-Up Origami Shop. Uh, Laura, could you give us some more information about this kind of an innovative initiative? And why did you guys wanted to launch this crafty, creative box? It's a great question. We
1: always ask ourselves before we create anything, what is the purpose of creating this? Does it need created? Because In the midst of this climate crisis, we don't need extra online things and we don't need more paper because that isn't helping us achieve net zero. But what we think a craft box really does bring is joy. And in this day and age where the newspaper headlines are pretty uh, stressful, we might not feel joy in our work, in our day to day when we're incredibly busy meeting increased service demand. We wanted to bring a little bit of joy, and a nuanced conversation about human rights. And really, the reason is because I work with two fantastic people, Jen and Ricardo. And they're both origami experts. And so it just seemed really natural for us to share some of our skills and our experiences that we have from previous uh, previous projects and also our, our own personal interests. And we can weave those and bring those into our work. So we wanted to share a little bit of that joy it brings us. Some of the skills we have on the team that are uh, really amazing and should be a uh, shed. I watched Ricarda um, help people online create origami peace cranes. And uh, it's quite hard when you're not in the room to figure out whether it's the wrong way up or it's upside down. And uh, so that's a real skill. If you want an online uh, workshop about peace cranes and the power of craft to talk about rights, do get in touch. But We just thought, it's a way to engage people in learning that isn't all about a computer screen. It's not about being perfect. You'll see in some of the marketing shots, I made a piece crane. In fact, it's right here. And it's out of scrap paper and it's not perfect. And the folds aren't amazing. I'm quite proud of it. And it, it, it gives me a little moment to stop and pause and think, ah, I'm doing something and what can I learn from this process? Because it's just, it's about bringing that moment of reflection and pause. So to summarize, we did think long and hard about whether we should create them. We want to bring people joy. And the reason we did it is because it, it really represents and uh, brings to the fore some of the skills on the team that we have that are uh, wider than our work. And I think that's, that's really about our approach to learning, everyone brings something to the table. And it might not be through that formal education that we have. And we really think that um, a comfortable, fun learning space is where we can do that all together. So check out the Peace Cranes on our website and do get in touch if you'd like to have a sort of reflective and fun crafty workshop space that we can host for you.
0: That's amazing. I love that this is such a cool, creative, like, craftism box and I, I honestly I love the tagline as well um but Ricarda um what was your contribution with this specific project?
2: That is a great question and I love that you're starting with the origami box um because that is very exciting and Laura kindly says that I've expi- inspired the fact that we're doing the origami as part of it um which is really kind I think it was it's definitely a uh, effort but i i used to facilitate peace crane sessions with children and young people uh in coventry quite a w- long time ago and i've made a fair bit of origami cranes and other animals in my life um so i worked a lot on the instructions and the images and the video content um for it and i think just to explain a little bit of what what it is and and why we're doing it um as we want to deliver kind of a craft box that combines kind of the well-being and slowing down with learning about human rights and doing craftivism. And craftivism is actually a word set together with activism um, and crafts. So it's basically doing activism and slow protest and inspiring change through arts and crafts. And we thought about what can we do with it? what, What type of crafts are there? And I think origami was a great one because there's a lot of um, overlap already with peace and human rights work. Um, But also it's something that's amazing because a lot of us will have paper at home. So the box kind of comes with some paper um, and the instructions, but we're encouraging you to use the instructions as well to make a grain or anything else, and also to use anything else you have at home that you would enjoy making it from I've made a lot of a lot of origami from my to-do lists at home which um yeah I love
0: no I think that's so cool and I mean just to give a little bit background you've also done a session on craftivism and we kind of did as well origami cranes and stuff and I think that's such a cool way of like integrating like a story, human rights, and then also something somebody can tangibly like hold and, and work with. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not going to, I saw it on LinkedIn and immediately I was like, Ooh, can I get a box? <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. Can you give us a little bit more information about how people can purchase and and find this crafty box?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so it's on our website in our web shop that we have just set up. So under Jairus forward slash shop, you can find basically the entire page. Um, and that includes both the like it includes the craftivism box as a product and the craftivism box as a pay it forward model. Uh, because we're really interested in, you know, allowing people to actually say, you know, I want to do this and I want to learn more about rights but I also want others to do so and um, that for us seemed like a really good way to kind of spread that further and let other people kind of engage uh, in it so you can choose but that's where you can find them and also absolutely watch that space for further products coming in the future I'm not going to say any more though
0: no, I love that so much. And I mean, as well, I'm thinking about it. We're coming up to close to the end of the year. And I'm like, that's such a good gift to give as well. Like a good gift for any like family or like a partner or something. Yeah, like a little date night. Let's do some peace cranes. <laughs> I love that. Or office
2: parties at the end of, the. you know, we're coming up to all the holiday office parties. So if someone just still needs a fun activity, that also kind of has a purpose and maybe spread joy. that's that's a good idea
0: I love it but that's not the only projects that you both do um so alongside some of these JRS Know How also created a micro email course for people working and volunteering in the digital space about a better approach to service design and delivery how and why did you design this course and I'm going to pose this to you Laura
1: we created an email course because we know that that is a large part of what a lot of people do on a daily basis. I'm not sure how long you spend checking your emails, Natalia, but I spend a a fair few, maybe hours in a week doing my emails. And if we can bring a little bit of joy and learning and reflection to people's emails, that is what we hope to do. And so we were inspired by the great Distance learning provider, the open university, they've been sending people, uh, posts so that they can learn, uh, since the sixties. And we, we really wanted to revamp this idea of learning in different ways. And we were inspired by some great email courses. And then we thought what. What opportunities are there for us to create uh, an email course? And we were really lucky to work with three who are based in Scotland. And we put a seed fund in with the Catalyst Network who work with nonprofit, charity, um, and voluntary digital teams across the UK. And so we knew that there was this need to learn more about digital in a human rights and equalities led way. Why? Well, AI is pretty discriminatory. Digital accessibility is still not perfect. And actually, we realise there's a lot of legal jargon and really even human rights is quite unclear to a lot of people. How does that relate to you know, my web page? How does that relate to the app I'm building? It, it, it can seem quite disconnected. Um, so we were inspired. We wanted to create something new. And we thought, ah, there's this is perfect connection between where we need to improve our knowledge and our practice. And there just happened to be a fantastic collaborator in Scotland who we could work with to bring a little bit of their learning into a fun email course. I'll just shout out something fun we did. We created three versions of this email course. If you want to take it, you can sign up for an illustrated version, a version that features animals and pets and a version that has plain text so you can learn in a way that works for you if you just want the plain text and you want to um, audio narrate that on on your commute you can listen to that or if you are really uh, motivated by looking at pictures of cute cats and even parrots you can uh, use that version of the email course which we hope is kind of a bit fun and will bring a little bit of joy to your
0: inbox no, that's super cool. I was like, as you were explaining, I was like, oh, what kind of things do you have? And I, as well, like the point that you made about AI being, I don't know, I feel like it is such a hot topic when you're talking about digital tools and then adding that extra layer of like, how does human rights play into that? And what does that look like? Because I mean, even listening to people talk about it, um, I still feel like, okay, yeah, there could be like whole degrees about, about stuff like this and I still would probably be like hmm yeah that's complicated like how does that fully work how do we do this effectively kind of thing and I love that each of your trainings are also really creative um, and they have different creative elements in them which I feel like I just don't hear a lot about when I think about like learning and trainings uh, to be fair this could be just because I have a very ops background so we're pretty much like compliance training. So, are never fun but like I think it's so cool um the kind of different trainings that you do and and the creative aspects that you kind of add into that um Ricarda I'm kind of curious if there are any other interesting or crafty projects that you guys are currently working on
2: yes yeah no absolutely I mean um as I say I think we're trying to bring fun and engaging ways of of learning and, and creative ways of learning to all the projects we do um we definitely aim to and um Laura will have uh, other fantastic projects that uh she can chat about but I um one thing we're doing for example is kind of digitizing life training that we recorded which is a really interesting way um to do it because it's different every time um and I think sometimes it it means you know we make them small and bite-sized and we make them video so we make them um, kind of documents but other times and here's sometimes where the, the engaging and, and fun part comes into it is that we use for example e-learning authoring tools for it so that's basically software which with which we can create learning paths for example making case studies more interactive or using pictures that you can click on to get information so learning can actually be a bit more individualized, and what I really like about something like this is actually that the learner can just pick and choose what they are interested in, and I think that actually makes for the most creative uh learning because this may sound buzzwordy, but you know I think learners actually are the best teachers for themselves um so that's one thing we're doing, and then one other thing that is incredibly fun and crafty. Uh, is we're working on a UNCRC skills and knowledge framework and training plan. And just a wee explanation, the UNCRC is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And our collaborative project basically aims to create a practical guide and training plan to help people who work in public authorities understand how to make children's rights part of their day-to-day. And for that, we're working with fantastic collaborators. JRS um, is one of them and um, the Welsh Observatory, but also the Together um, and Children's Parliament. And Together in Children's Parliament actually work with panels, like actual panels who give us a lot of input. And the children and families make it really, really crafty and creative. Uh, we're currently having the job to digitise what is a very long word, document into something that is really really fun and interactive to use but also has that individualized learner journey that I spoke about before so that's definitely a fun 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 task at the moment.
0: No I love that and Laura did you want to come in on this question as well? I think what is really creative
1: and uh, playful about the the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child so UNCRC project is that a core part of using a children's human rights approach to training brings in creativity and playfulness and art and centers that as part of the learning method. And that has involved some really fun examples of icebreakers. We've drawn UNCRC articles on the top of our head um, training not just should involve children and young people, but it can be evaluated by children and young people. And there are ways that we can use drawing and expression and creative methods to learn and to share with each other. So it's been really fun uh, being a part of the professionals panels because there's not just drawing, but there are balloons and, um, you know, board games and ways of trying to make learning more enjoyable and less like what we assume learning is. And I think you made this point, like, can compliance training be fun? I would argue yes. Um, We put penguins in our GDPR course, General Data Protection Regulations. Data protection can be fun. But what we know about learning is it needs to be sector specific and it has to be relevant to your day to day. So if you get given a GDPR training course that is designed for everyone, it's not going to make sense to your organization and your specific tasks that you do. And so what's really interesting is trying to design a training plan that will make learning about a big international convention that some people will think is just legal compliance that they need to know in the same way as they need to know data protection or the same way that they need to be cyber resilient. We need to make that fun and relevant to them and personalized. So what is really cool is you'll be able to explore this framework and generate your own personalized learning plan. And the training plan does have fantastic artwork drawn by children and young people across Scotland. And we need to always remember Even compliance training can be fun because we've all been to too many terrible training sessions where we get lectured at. We've all done that e-learning course where we just click, 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 and yay, we're done. We've downloaded our certificate. But training can be even more harmful. Some of us might have felt alienated in workshops. Some of us might have looked at e-learning and thought that image perpetuates racial stereotypes training can be really harmful and so to counteract all of these ways of us trying to make better training we just have to center how it can be more playful and more fun and more accessible
0: no that's all really interesting and I love that you know you made the point that no training should be boring even compliance trains it's like there's always a way to make it interactive which I feel like is such a good point to make and (laughs) And I need to keep that in mind. Definitely need to keep that in mind. So I know there's a lot of other services that JRS Know How provides. I was curious if either Laura, or Ricardo, whichever one of you want to take this question, could kind of describe a little bit more of some of the other services that you provide? Sure. Yeah.
1: So we're a digital consultancy, and that's quite broad. But basically, we deliver training. We create learning experiences that might be a, um, an e-learning course, online learning. It might be a learning guide or an online module. But we also evaluate learning and development products. So we evaluated someone's online learning course for them. And we can help people digitize. Ricardo touched on this earlier. We can help smaller organizations uh, busy charities to either event manage or to digitize their training. And that really helps them unlock unrestricted income. But we also do a bit of bespoke consultancy. So people have training and learning challenges. They might not know which tool they need. They might need a bit of research. They might want a training analysis to really scope where their niche is. And we can help people in the way that works for them. So we've done a little bit of digital coaching. Um, we do digitizing. So it really is a wealth of different um, ways that we can help people on their training and learning journey. And really, all we hope is that we can improve organizations people's understandings of rights and equality law
0: no i think that was all really important to me, and i mean that definitely does show the diversity of projects and different points within like you were saying this digital learning kind of journey and i think that was really important to highlight like the different aspects that go into this um a little little note that ricarda uh you've recently done a lot of facilitation and I think we know on the team that like you have this passion and love for facilitating um, different projects and in a very crafty kind of way. And I was kind of curious if you could tell us a little bit more about this aspect of your role. Yes, thank you. Um,
2: Absolutely. Definite passion um, of me to basically foster meaningful conversations among the brilliant people kind of that we work with. Uh, I feel like I'm using a lot of buzzwords at the moment, but I promise um, <laughs> it is fun. Um, and one one thing, firstly, that is incredible is that I, I get the opportunity to do that. Like we've we've just started this uh journey of um doing more facilitation together with people as well. And I think one good example um is the WEF, so the Workplace Equality Fund conference, uh which is happening on the 10th of November, I believe. Where we deliver a workshop with colleagues from the Scottish Women's Rights Centre and close the gap about how to address sexual harassment in the workplace in Scotland. And, um, this will happen in person, but actually follows up from an e-learning course that we've developed, uh, recently about sexual harassment in the Scottish legal profession and how to address that and how to become a better colleague, um, which obviously is a, a tough topic Uh, and I think that is a really really good example in showing that making trainings fun and engaging can work alongside taking a topic seriously and that that both can coexist together Um, and I think to come back to your question uh, I think co-facilitation is such an important uh, and great way to bring together different skill sets uh, especially because We're so, so, so lucky to work and collaborate with amazing, amazing experts, for example, in this case, with experts in gender equality and women's rights. And I'm learning, for example, a lot about trauma informed facilitation and what that actually means. And sometimes it's really important kind of logistical uh, considerations from the beginning. So, you know, is there is there a separate room? Is there a a co-facilitator or any other opportunity to give spaces and conversations to people who might struggle within the workshop or who who, who would like a, a quiet moment um or to kind of digest the workshop contents or the co- discussions that are being had. And I hope that I or we as jurors know how bring um, considerations towards how to design the workshop, for example, in a more engaging and accessible way um, and also... I mentioned already, but kind of the, the wider logistics of it, which sounds maybe boring, but I think similar to what you both just talked about in terms of, uh, let's make, you know, let's make compliance training fun, uh, is, you know, logistics of, of a facilitated workshop is really, really important and actually means that people then can enjoy it a lot more.
0: So I think you made such an important point here, right? Is that. Even those serious trainings or trainings that have very tough topics that aren't necessarily correlated with fun or or interactive or, or any of those kind of like elements that we think of, but just noting that those two things can coexist. Um, I'm also kind of curious, and this is kind of a side a side question, but could you possibly give an example about some other kind of aspects or thoughts that you would do as far as facilitating kind of with the same thought process of like human rights work and how you're setting up operations for these kind of things. Cause I think you did hint, um, definitely working with SWRC, the Scottish women's rights center, some other things to know, like, do you have a co-facilitator? Um, is there a space that somebody could step away to, to get, you know, some space to like recenter themselves? I was wondering if you could give a little bit more examples about kind of some other ways that you do this
2: that is a great question um i think know your audience you know uh is a really important one and one that surprisingly gets forgotten sometimes is actually consider what what do they enjoy what do they want to learn um how do they want to learn uh if i can if i can find as much out about the people that i'm going to work be working with the better um what is a really 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 important part of that is ask for adjustment requests um from like from the get-go you know i i think there's there always needs to be the space and the opportunity to be spontaneous in that because you never fully know who's in the room um but if you ask beforehand you get give a you give the people the opportunity to to tell you and also hopefully to feel possibly a bit more comfortable uh, being themselves or being the person that they want to be during the workshop. Um, but also you can prepare for it and that um, in the workshop, you know, everyone has as much of an kind of opportunity to take part as possible. Um, one other thing is, and Laura's definitely taught me a lot about that as well is don't use a tool for the tool's sake. Like there's so many things out there, both in terms of digital tools and workshop methods that are super, super fun. And a lot of them will have a reason to exist in in certain workshops, but overwhelming people by doing too many different things or um, doing something just for the sake of it, but actually not that leading them towards the end um, goal is, yeah, can be really hindering. I think another one is lots of breaks, to be honest. Uh, I think the best conversations happen in tea breaks. Um, that That's another practical one. Laura, do you have another one?
1: <laughs> no. I think people often confuse more accessible, inclusive or trauma-informed. They often get confused between actually what's an accessibility step you can take but we love universal learning design and that just centers flexibility and that just focuses on the individual. And the main message is meet people where they are, understand that they're stressed, understand some people hate learning and um, understand that some people might be fearful to share with you what adjustment requests they need because they might have had it um, frowned upon before. And so the really practical things that you can do to make your training or your workshop spaces more accessible are pretty simple and they will create a more transformative space where people feel comfortable. People sometimes have horrible memories of school and learning and formal education, and we bring those experiences with us into workplace and informal learning environments So we need to create that space that allows people to share their knowledge and their experiences and not feel inferior to someone who is a trainer or a facilitator or an expert. So you can give all of these ways to get involved. And I think that's really crucial is we need to remember that not everyone feels comfortable speaking. So there are text options too. Or have you got an anonymous way to ask a question? What can you do to create a space before or after? I work with lots of reflectors. They like to leave a meeting and they come back and they will share this genius, amazing idea that they've reflected on and analysed. So create that way for people to get involved so that you don't just focus on audio verbal discussions. And you can do the same. And it's. I think it's one of the most important things you can do is share your materials in advance. Because if we don't meet, meet people where we are, we are not removing those structural barriers to engaging. And we are locking knowledge away in a cupboard or an ivory tower, and we're not sharing it. And we need to acknowledge that everyone has amazing contributions to make and we can learn so much from each other. If we don't remove these things that get in the way and that oppress and that marginalise, then we're not going to create comfortable learning space. So it's quite practical. There are a few things you can do. And just ask, keep asking, what are the barriers to participating in this learning space?
2: I absolutely agree. Um, I think the, the kind of keep asking questions is so important. And I think there's two things that Laura just mentioned here as well with, you know, people are very individual and they have individual ways of learning. And a lot of learners may have really difficult experiences or memories from school, university, but the more traditional kind of um learning institutions. And I think that means that sometimes w- now everyone knows what their favorite way of learning is. Uh, and I've, I've been asked when I've just started, like when I started at JRS know how, I've been asked the question by Laura and Jen or other team member, how do you like to learn? And I actually had to think about that. And one thing that I love to give to people as a facilitator is like different options to engage with a topic. And one of my favorite actual methods that i recently um discovered at at a training about adult learning actually was um the the kind of museum method method where basically they um the, the the trainers created a museum of different theories which were very complex theories but every theory had at least three different ways of engaging with it and they encouraged you to at least try one or two on each of those theories. So you had a theory, you have three different methods of engaging and learning about that theory, and you try them out. And by the end, I personally had a way better understanding of how do I like to get into theories in the future? So not being afraid to give people different ways of engaging, but then also accepting that learners will come away and say, this worked for me, this that didn't. And taking that feedback on board, as Laura says.
0: Can I be 100% honest? Listening to you both talk about such practical measures to take. One, I feel like, oh, yeah. But just it seems so simple. Like, and these are just things that it's like I know, but I often forget. Right. So it's like re- just remembering, like, just, you know, meeting, like Laura, you were saying, meeting that person where they're at. Um, making sure you're asking questions, giving multiple ways to feedback, um, and allowing that flexibility. And then Ricarda as well, like having those different theories and making sure people can have different ways to kind of like work with it. And yeah, like to be 100 percent honest with you, I'm just hearing you both speak about this, I'm already inspired and I'm kind of like, <laughs> what can I learn? What can I take? Like what what can I do? Um, And I think, again, like you guys are making the point that learning and taking in new information, taking courses, they don't have to be these difficult, high level things like they should still be fun. They should still be interactive and, and they should be a good experience overall, which I think, yeah, like you both hit is such an important part. And I'm kind of just ongoing with this. I know you all have wide range of projects and stuff. And I'm kind of curious to know what some next plans and projects that are kind of in the works or you can even talk about ones that are wrapping up, but as well like future plans. Laura, I'm gonna pose this one to you. Thank you for sharing a
1: little bit of your enthusiasm there, Natalia. It's lovely to hear that um our hope to inspire and engage people in conversations about making learning fun is is uh something that we're we're doing. We have just uh, wrapped up a project helping uh, a small charity to uh, create a new training module, and we did this with an entire team. So we're really excited to see them launch this new training that they'll be delivering online. We tried to find some really fun ways to to make this less of a presentation and more of a conversation to unpack what is actually a really difficult, challenging topic Um. And we're also we're really excited to be developing some new online learning for lawyers. Ricardo mentioned the project where we developed some e-learning about uh, sexual harassment in the legal sector. And we are uh, really excited to be uh, developing some new online learning. But you'll have to watch this space. It's a top secret uh, uh, topic. Other things we can share a little bit more about. Um, we're creating some materials for people to really better understand the human rights risks of artificial intelligence, so AI. Um, This will be different depending on the sector and ways people like to learn. So it might be a practical decision-making guide for someone making an important decision, but it might also be, you know, a wee online guide that will help explore uh, explore, uh, these topics in more detail. And a quick shout out to someone who I think is doing this really well. Access Now have just created a fabulous exploration-based toolkit to help you understand the human rights risks of digital identity and, you know, you know, the really difficult topics around facial recognition, biometrics, but you can explore through different personas how people are marginalized by systems. So just a shout out, have a quick Google access now's digital ID toolkit is something that I think really makes learning exploratory and fun. So we're going to be uh, drawing inspiration from that. Finally. We're really excited to work with businesses across Scotland to improve their, I'm going to say a a jargon acronym, ESG, Environmental Social Governance, used to be called Corporate Social Responsibility, but we're moving beyond these acronyms and jargons. And we want to work with businesses to improve their approach to rights and human rights in their work. Big more pieces of jargon, due diligence, that's the kind of looking at your supply chains, But we want to do more than that. We want to think about how you can embed human rights in your strategy, in your digital how you can move human rights from just that buzzword in your procurement department to also thinking about what you need to do to pass your, your B Corp impact assessment, what you need to think about with human rights before you maybe start exporting and internationalising if you're looking to, to sell your services and products from Scotland, for example, to the EU. And we're really excited because Scotland is a place where there are some fantastic purpose-driven businesses. You'll see the excitement around moving some of our international treaties into Scots law. And I think it's a really positive time right now for businesses, especially small and medium enterprises, to think, ah, human rights, what does this mean for me? How can this make me a more resilient business? So yeah, we're excited for what's coming up.
0: No, that sounds amazing. And that sounds like there's a lot of great and important work that's coming. Um, Ricardo, I kinda wanna bring you in on this conversation as well. I was curious if you could tell us um some of the aims that you're hoping to achieve with the future of uh JRS know how.
2: Yeah, of course. Um so Laura's already mentioned, but absolutely kind of broaden the people we work with uh work with enterprises and businesses and um really, really, really explore the importance and the impact they have within the human rights and equality world. And on a more general level, I would say, Natalia, right in the beginning, you spoke about, you know, creativity and um, making things and, and different trainings, creative also things that you're involved with. And I would like, I personally think, you know, training can be powerful and it can be transformative and intersectional and feminist and, um, some of the kind of more traditional ways, um, of, of learning and training have absolutely their place. But as we have chatted over in the entire kind of episode, you know, there's so, so many different ways of engaging in training and learning. So as I said, it can be an email course. It can be a digital framework. It can be a workshop at a conference. Um, it can be a flipped classroom, you know, where people learn themselves and then come together and the in-person sessions are actually discuss uh, discussing questions and ideas and coming up with new things and I think that's really important to remember and I, I, I love that we bring this to the people we work with and I also want the people to work with and I think they already do but we can broaden this to kind of come up with these ideas themselves you know kind of generate the knowledge generate the ideas uh, come to us with hey i've had this amazing idea can we make this happen and we're like yes we can um and i think that kind of spreading that excitement about how what what are the innovative and creative and new ways of learning training exploring these super important topics of human rights and equality together that's what i want to continue to see and
0: so it's amazing to hear like all the work you do and I mean it sounds like you all have just a wide range of projects going on and plans and I'm curious if you give us um some more details about who you work with and if someone would want to work with you like how would they go about doing that as well? Laura? We often get asked do we just work in Scotland
1: but the answer is We can work digitally wherever you are. So we work with clients and collaborators across the UK, and we have delivered webinars for audiences in Canada. So if you are, for example, a small charity or a community group wanting to develop digital training, then get in touch for sure. If you're hosting a a multi-organizational event online and you need an extra pair of hands, then get in touch we often do equality law training for public authorities and so if you want to find out a little bit more about what that means and actually what that will help you do and the resources that we can give you to help you constantly engage with that learning and not just make it a one-off workshop then do have a chat to us and i think what's super exciting is that if you're a small business and you want to understand how human rights can help your marketing, or if you are a large business and you really need to better understand your supply chain and for some accreditation, you need human rights training every year, then we can bring a really exciting interactive training offer to you that showcases some of uh, the fantastic legal knowledge, but also the examples of where we can do better work across Scotland. So if you're a charity if you're a public authority or if you're a business and any of those things sound interesting to you you can drop us a message on our website you can drop us an email we're really inclusive and flexible in the way that we communicate with our clients so if you want to post us a message in the mail that's also fine there are many ways to get in contact and we're happy to have a a quick chat or come to to speak to you where you are and we'd love to hear about all your exciting learning goals and also your training plans
0: perfect um so we kind of have an ongoing theme throughout the podcast about some hopes and i was going to ask both of you what are some of your hopes for jrs know how and i will start with laura
1: thank you we're we're really hoping that learning and training will continue to innovate in the future. So we mentioned Web3, and a lot of our listeners might be thinking, goodness, what's that? Like, what does a distributed collaborative approach to the web look like? How individual will our learning journeys be? Can I skip that bit in compliance training and go straight to the bit I really want to work on because I don't understand what data protection means for my, um, my online meetings, for example? And I think that that personalised learning journey is going to be really exciting. So I'm hoping that we're going to get loads of opportunities to work with JRS um, projects that really understand how learning can be both personalised to meet people where they are and really transformational to help them feel inspired. We're, we're really hopeful that we can share a bit of our excitement about learning with other people. We're really hoping to work with another thousand learners this year. So since we were founded, we've worked with in the region of 1,500 learners, which feels really exciting. And, um, we just hope that some of our, our collaborators and colleagues can go away and feel like they're better able to tackle some of these challenges, whether it's, um, designing a better online module, whether it's having a, a training space that's a bit more welcoming. Or whether it's trying to figure out that they, they want to ditch all the digital tools and use online paper to create a session. I think we're just hoping people will go away and think a little bit differently about some of their challenges at work. So we're, we're hoping to, to continue to share some of our learning and, and that space, because I think Scotland's a really exciting place to be at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm going to put the same one to you, Ricardo, if you want to come in. Totally. Um, on a broader level,
2: Um, I want to continue when I say hearing, but like inspiring, basically what you've just said, Natalia, that, you know, there's kind of these little, these little inspirations towards doing a little more or thinking about things a little different, very similar to what Laura said. But, you know, if at some point I get a little message from someone saying, hey, you know, we've we've done some peace cranes in our tea break. Um, with colleagues. And it's actually made us think about this and that, or we've actually explored this new right through it. I think that that's something that I love hearing, um, because I think it means that we actually make the impact that we
0: aim to have. So, yeah, I love that. I love that you ended it on that, because I think that is such a, an important part is like you have won. Congratulations on the nomination that's amazing so well deserved but I also echo in here that you know it's such a powerful thing to have a team that inspires people so much that they come back to you with that because like it isn't like working with Jairus know-how isn't just a a one-time thing and then you go away like it's gonna stay with you and you're gonna almost kind of change the way you think a little bit, just from the stuff that you learn. And I think that in itself is so powerful. And I mean, like Laura, you keep saying, transformative. And that's that piece, right? Coming back into that. Um, I absolutely, yeah, I, I look forward to see everything that you're gonna continue working on. I'm gonna keep my eye on this space, as Laura has said, some top secret stuff coming. Um and thank you both for being here. And thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And, you know, this hopefully won't be the only time we have you on. I would definitely love to see you all again in the future as, you know, more projects come and and time, you know, as time allows it. But, yeah, I look forward to it. thank you
2: guys so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so, so much for having us. Thank you, Natalia and
1: Viaras. It's a Cornish uh, phrase, but thank you for having us. We like to leave you with something that you might learn new.
0: Thank you again to Laura and Ricardo for the work that they do at Jairos Know How. Make sure to double check social media and our show notes for links to the resources mentioned in this episode, their craftivism Peace crane box, and how to collaborate with them. Make sure to follow them on social media to keep an eye on what's coming up. Like always, listeners, don't forget to like, comment, and share this podcast. Don't forget, you can always listen back to our episodes on our Podbean website, podcast streaming services, and social media pages. We'll catch you next time.